Good morning, Community Church. Good morning, Mount Pleasant, good morning, Alma, and good morning to those of you who are watching online with us today. So I have a question for you. Hopefully you were here last week or you were able to watch the service online, and you were called to surrender as your first step in our rhythms section. So how'd you do? Everybody here surrendered to something last week? Guys, did you surrender to your wives? Come on now. Surrender is a great thing. It's the beginning. But we're going to add some weights to our training and rhythm this week. Because today we're going to talk about actually one of the heaviest things for you to learn how to do and to be able to do. And that is prayer. The offering up of our desires to God in keeping with His will. Do you know that if you take the Psalms apart from Scripture for a few moments, there are 650 prayers in the Bible. So obviously the Bible is filled with prayer because it is our means of communicating with God. And there are tons of answers that are even shown to those prayers that were offered. There's one man in history, his name, last name is Bounds, B-O-U-N-D-S. And he was a prayer guru. He wrote on prayer, and if you can get a hold of any of his works, I know they're old, but they're still the best. I want to quote something that he said about prayer. Prayer, in one phase of its operation, is a disinfectant and a preventative. It purifies the air, destroys the contagion of evil. Prayer is no fitful, short-lived thing. It's no voice crying unheard and unheeded in the silence. It is a voice which goes into God's ear, and it lives as long as God's ear is open to holy pleas, as long as God's heart is alive to holy things. So how's your prayer life? Are you talking to God on a consistent basis? Lots of people in Scripture prayed. There's probably no one that's greater than the other, although we read more about others in their prayer lives. But for today's purpose, I picked King David in those Psalms that aren't included in those 650 prayers. David prays a lot because he understands his relationship with God. That God called him as a little shepherd boy, trained him up, anointed him to be the future king, and then stayed with him throughout his life, answering his prayers, which I'm sure were on a moment-by-moment basis. We go into the 25th Psalm, and we find David asking for three things. He wants to make sure that he has an understanding of God's deliverance, of God's direction, and of God's defense. Deliverance, direction, and defense. So we start looking at the first three verses of Psalm 25, and here's what David wrote. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without a cause. 
David understood that he had been an ordinary kid, but God changed him. And then what he recognized was prayer changes an ordinary person into an extraordinary person because you are communicating with God because you pray. In his time of darkness, David knew the only way of deliverance was God. And so throughout this psalm, he lists six different things that he's fighting against. And I want you to listen to them because they do not sound much different from what we have gone through in this last year. He said, I have been isolated, lonely, afflicted, troubled, in anguish, and distressed. Now, you don't have to show your hands, but I know that a lot of you have felt that loneliness. You felt isolated because we were not able to gather together. You felt afflicted because some of you actually had different illnesses to deal with. You were troubled by how long will it last? When will I get back to work? You were in anguish over this, and many have been distressed. This is the reality of where we live. It's where David lived at that time. And David's solution was prayer. Because he knew that you don't just wait for the worst thing in the world to happen, and that's when you start praying. That God just happens to be up there only for the big and the awesome things that are needed. No, God is always there to help us in our time of need. I ran across a very interesting anecdote of a, an airplane in 1968, jetliner that was going into New York, and the landing gear would not come down. And as a result of that, they had to foam the runway, and the pilot did safely land the plane on its belly on that foam. No one was injured. But before they landed, here's what the pilot said. In accordance with international aviation codes established in Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence praying. <laughs> you don't really have to be told, do you? My wife and I were on a, on a flight once, and we were over Africa, and the winds were coming in, the Hamatan winds, and the plane was shaking like this and this all at the same time, just going all over everywhere. And we began to pray, but one lady stood up, and she started praying, Satan, take your hands off this airplane. <laughs> you know, and, and my first thought was, oh, come on, woman, you know, go pray like that. And then it settled down. I said, yeah, praise God for you, woman. <laughs> but we don't have to wait for those times, do we? Because God is there at all times. So how are we to pray? Just a few ideas. First of all, be spontaneous. God's not looking for someone who has a formula, for someone who follows a particular concept of how prayer should be. I want to talk with you, is what he's saying to me. You're my son. Can we have a conversation? Yes. Yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll talk to you. He already knows who you are. So all you have to do is just start talking. You can talk when you walk, talk when you drive. You can talk anywhere at any time about anything to God. 
Now that really gives me some freedom because I just want to be me. I don't want to try to follow somebody's model. Even the prayer that Jesus gave the disciples, it's just a concept model of the things you need to touch on. It's not the prayer that should be prayed. We pray, secondly, by faith, believing. Why ask God to do something for you if you don't believe he can or will do it? It's ridiculous. Don't ask. Don't waste your time if you don't think God's going to do it. Now, he may not do it the way you want it done, but he will do his perfect will through you because you're his child. So he wants to do it. So you have faith believing. I believe that when I pray, my God hears that prayer because the Holy Spirit has taken that prayer, uttered it to him. I've been interceded for by the Son of God. And the Father hears my prayer. Maybe the answer is already here even before I pray. Maybe it comes later after I've prayed. Most likely it'll look different from what I had hoped it would be, but it'll be better for me. That's how we pray. Now, there are some things that can keep you from getting those answers you're looking for. And this is what we constantly need to do. We have to keep short accounts with God. There's several things that can block those prayers. One is unconfessed sin. If you have sin in your life, do you know this? He already knows. He simply wants you to agree with him. Yes, Lord, I, I know I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have thought that. Forgive me, Lord. And he's forgiving you. That's beautiful. Lack of faith that we just talked about. Disobedience. If you're consciously disobeying God, then it's going to be harder for you to break through to him. Because he wants a holy plea. He wants a plea coming from someone who has surrendered, like Pastor Allen talked about last week. If there's any unforgiveness in you, you know what drives me away from unforgiveness? Is the end of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught the disciples when he says, Because if you do not forgive those who sinned against you, neither will my Father forgive you. That's all I needed to hear. I don't care what anybody's done. If they come to me and say, I need your forgiveness, I just say, you got it. I don't need to even know what you did or what you thought or said because I want to be forgiven. If I'm not, my prayers may not be answered. <clears throat> Are your motives correct? Are you praying in accordance with his will for something in your life? Are there idols in your life that you need to remove? in order to have a clear path to God? Do you have an unsurrendered will? That's really the starting point, and that's why we began this series on rhythms with surrender. You need to get in and push through and repent and ask for God's forgiveness and then pray. Give it all to Him. So David starts off saying, Lord, yeah, I love you. I know you love me. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need deliverance. Help me, Lord. That's where you start in prayer. Then, David, 
says, okay, now I need some direction, some specific direction in what I'm dealing with. This is a long section of Scripture in this 25th Psalm, but it's a powerful one because it has some elements in it that just jump right off the page to us. Here we go. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. The author and, and preacher John Maxwell said of the first section of those verses where it says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. <clears throat> Guide me in your truth. Here's what he said. When God shows me, he has my heart. When he teaches me, he has my mind. And when he guides me, he has my hand. See, that's what you want. You want God to have your heart, your mind, and your hand so that he can guide you everywhere you need to go. James, who wrote one of the books in the New Testament, brother of the Lord, was known as old camel knees because of the extent of the period of time he prayed. He had calluses on his knees. In the eighth verse of the fourth chapter of his book, he says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, that's what we want. I want to surrender my will to him, and then I want to be in constant communication with him, coming near to him, because then I know he has come near to me. So, this is the key statement in this message. Prayer is a rhythm of necessity. Prayer is not optional. It's not like I can do these exercises this week in my rhythms, but prayer every other day. No, prayer every day. As a matter of fact, Paul says pray without ceasing, which means prayer all the time. All the time you need to pray. God will challenge you. If you start praying, he's going to open up things to you that you won't believe. But now prayer is not legalistic. It's not like there is that, that formula I mentioned that you have to follow. A group of people in Colorado were given an assignment. They said, if we were to take the Lord's Prayer and take one of the petitions, give us this day our daily bread, seven words, and you were to write a legal definition of that, what that really means, could you do that? They did. Here's what it is. We respectfully petition, request, and entreat 
that due and adequate provision be made this day and date first above and inscribed for the satisfying of petitioners' nutritional requirements and for the organizing of such methods of allocation and distribution as may be deemed necessary and proper to assure the reception by and for said petitioners of such quantity of cereal products hereinafter called bread, as shall in the judgment of the aforesaid petitioners constitute a sufficient amount. Is that how you pray? Some people do. They really think it's the words we pick. No, it's the heart. God doesn't read lips. He reads hearts. And he's going to read what you're saying about him. Or maybe you fall into the trap of saying, well, some things are just too small to ask God for help. I want to drive you far away from that. Because God doesn't care about the size of your need or your wish. He responds, yesterday I came into the church. I needed to run a copy of this message because I'm always constantly working on it. I had changed it again, and I came in, I went in my office, and I knew that I used the big copy machine on the other side, so I pushed the right buttons for print. Very excited, won't be here long, go over there. There's nothing. So I checked job. It doesn't show my job. So I said, okay, something's wrong with my computer. So I go back to my computer. Well, I wasn't on the same Wi-Fi, so I switched Wi-Fis. I thought, that'll do it, and I sent it. I went over. Nothing happened. So it must be the copier. So I rebooted the copier, which takes quite a while. It finally came up. Then I went back and I sent it. It didn't work. So I rebooted my computer. Everything had been rebooted, and it still didn't work. My wife and another lady had seen me coming in and out and then going back and forth and back and forth. My wife said, Wally, would you like me to pray? Never crossed my mind. <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. She prayed. I went to my office. I hit sin. and went over, and there it was. Why, God? Why don't I understand that there's nothing too small for you? Somebody asked a man once, if you lost a pencil, would you ask God for help? He said, of course I would. Because if I go to him in the little things and he meets my need... That shows me that if I go to him in the big things, he's going to also be there. Nothing is insignificant to God about our lives. So when you go to him, you ask him. In verse 6, David calls God to remembrance. I love this. God, He says, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love. For they are from old. How many times you read in the scripture of the writers calling God to remember something God had done in their lives. If you would do that, if you would keep a list of those things that God has done for you, then when a new thing comes up, all you have to do is look back and look at the consistency of God in answering your prayers, and He will answer them again. It's amazing what He does. He can help you. He wants to help you because He knows our deepest need. He wants the gospel to come alive. You know, we live in a time right now where what our world needs is for the church to wake up and be revived and for revival to come. That's what's going to change things. 
There has never been a revival unless it was preceded by prayer. There was a man in the 1930s and 40s by the name of Dr. Orr. He took a group of seminary students to England with him. And there they went and looked at a lot of the Christian heritage that was around London and in those areas. And they went to one place called Epworth House. It was the home of John Wesley. Now, John Wesley was a Methodist reformer. He brought great reform to the church, even in the United States. And so he was well understood to be a man of prayer. Dr. Orr took the students into the home, and they stopped first at the kitchen. He said, here's where John Wesley ate his meals. And, you know, they were looking around and somewhat impressed that, okay, that's where he had his meals. Then they went into his library, and some of the books that John Wesley had been reading were still there. And it said that some were able to actually touch the binders on them and say, wow, you know, Wesley read this book. But what really got them is when they went upstairs and they went to his bedroom. And there was this nice big bed and they looked at the old carpet, the original carpet that was still there. And they went around to the side and there were two great big holes in the carpet. They said, oh, who ruined the carpets here? And Dr. Orr said, no, nobody ruined them. That's where John Wesley prayed every day. He didn't just get down and pray a 10-minute prayer or 15-minute. He prayed for three hours Every day, asking God for revival. Well, these young men were really impressed. So it was time to leave. They all got back on the bus, and Orr started counting. He said, huh, I'm missing one. He goes back in the house. He looks in the kitchen. He's not there, not in the library. He goes upstairs, and when he walks in the bedroom, he sees a head on the other side of the bed. And he realizes that somebody's there, and they're probably praying. And then he hears this. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it through me, Lord. Do it again. And he walked around to the side of the bed, and he said, It's time to go, son. And Billy Graham stood up. You see, we need to be praying that. We need to get into the presence of God simply with who we are, with faith believing, with nothing blocking our prayer opportunities, and saying, do it again, Lord. Bring revival to this nation. Bring revival in our church. Last week, we had several who made a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ after Pastor Allen preached. What an exciting thing to know. That's the beginning of revival. So God is calling us to revival. Remember Elisha, the prophet, as Elijah is walking his last day and last steps with Elisha. Elisha says, Father, give me a double portion of your blessing. And he said, that's not mine to give. But if you see me when I leave, I will give it to you. I think Elisha probably said, okay, Lord, I want that double blessing. In other words, I want to do it again, but I want to do twice as much as he did. He got the blessing. Did you know that? He actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah And the true story goes that he was one shy, and he died. But a few years later, somebody threw a body on top of his bones, and the body came back alive. 
You see, God will do things that we can't imagine in order to advance his kingdom. And he loves you and me, and he simply wants to talk with us. We go a little bit deeper in verse 14, where David says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Wow. God talks to you? My wife went in to a church I pastored once, and we were talking, and some people came up, and she said, yeah, today God said to me, and the man said, God doesn't speak to people today. Yes, he does. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through other people to you. God is alive. He's not silent. And he is speaking. It's learning how to discern the voice of God. Do you know my children know my voice? I could be in a room with 200 people and call out one of their names, and I would hear, Yes, Daddy, because they know my voice. God knows your voice, and He wants to become so familiar with it that when you speak, He's there to answer. So don't hesitate to ask God to do things because God will confide in you. He will give you exactly what he wants you to do. That's why David picked the name when he started out and he said, In you, Lord my God, he was saying, In you, Jehovah. He didn't pick Elohim, the mighty one, or Adonai, the sovereign one. He picked Jehovah, the one who knows me. Because this was a personal request. Because God knows your need, and he will meet it. There's a story of a missionary to North Africa by the name of Frederick Nolan. Nolan was being pursued by those who wanted to kill him. And he was running through North Africa and almost out of steam. He didn't know what to do, and he saw a cave. And he crawled into the back of the cave, and he said, I'm sure when they come for me, They'll find me in this cave. I know not what to do. Lord, help me. Just a few minutes later, a spider shows up and starts building a web. And he weaves a web around the entire opening through which Nolan had crawled. And so when those who are chasing him come to find him, one says he's probably in the cave, another says, He could not have gotten in without breaking the spider's web. He's not in there. And they left. Here's what Nolan says. Where God is, a spider's web is as a wall. Where God is not, a wall is like a spider's web. You see, God will do the unthinkable, the unimaginable in your life Because he loves you. But only if you spend time with him. David was saying, I need deliverance. I need direction. And then lastly, he says, I need to be defended because of what's happening in my life. Starting in verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I'm lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. 
See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Now listen very carefully to these next three statements. They're going to be on the screens. Because this is what impacts us into how we are to pray to God. No amount of praying today will be adequate for tomorrow's needs. No storing up of God's grace so that you can take it with you tomorrow. You can't move any of today's grace into tomorrow today. Why is that? Because there's the past, there's the future, and here we are. We live here. Now, this is the day the Lord has made, and we should rejoice in it. This is the only day you have today, Sunday, 31st of January, 2021. It's the only day you have. We're not guaranteed of anything else, but we have today. And so today, we need to spend time in rhythm with God because prayer is a rhythm of necessity. And you need to keep the beat with the metronome of time. When you do that, God is going to respond. Remember, great prayer changes ordinary people to extraordinary people. And great doesn't mean the flavor of the words. It means the extent that the heart is reaching out to God. I opened with, quote from E.M. Bounds, and I want to close with another quote. It's a story he tells that happened in his life to show you the love of God. Rising early one morning, he said, I heard the baying of a score of deer hounds in pursuit of their quarry. Looking away to a broad open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn making its way across and giving signs, moreover, that its race was well nigh run. Reaching the rails of the enclosure, it leapt over and crouched within ten feet from where I stood. A moment later, two of the hounds came over when the fawn ran in my direction and pushed its head between my legs. I lifted the little thing to my breast and swinging round and round, I fought off the dogs. I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So it is, when human helplessness appeals to Almighty God, well do I remember when the hounds of sin were after my soul, until at last I ran into the arms of Almighty God. Your rhythm for this week is to run into His arms. Run into them every single day, every moment of every day, praying to Him. And God will answer your prayers and set you free. It's your rhythm, so let's see if you can do it this week. When we come back next week, let's find out who prayed every day, significant prayers to God, and who got some answers. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us such clear teachings of how we are to interact with you, our Creator, our God, our Lord, our Savior. 
Help us, Lord, to overcome the weaknesses we have. Help us surrender to you. Help us pray, Lord. Teach us to pray that we might have all the benefits of your glory in our lives. We pray this in your matchless name. Amen.